that you have done for us. And we celebrate this Mother's Day, Father, for the gift of mothers. And Lord, the way that you have blessed us with these earthly relationships that we have. And Lord, I just pray for your blessing upon every mother that's here today. And uh, Lord, as they continue uh, tirelessly in, in, in what they do week in and week out, Father, that you would bless them. Lord, as we come this morning to your word, we pray, Father, through your spirit, you would speak to our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. You know, mothers truly are a gift. We hear a lot that children are a gift, but a good mother is also a gift. And, uh, you know, one of the things about mothering is that when you come into it, it's not like there's an instruction manual, is there, that that you get when you get your first child. It's kind of like, here's a book on how to raise a perfect child. It's, it's, it's tough. And the Christian life is like that a little bit sometimes as well, that when we accept Jesus into our hearts, we kind of work through things and, and learn as we go. It's not like we come into the kingdom perfect already and have no mistakes, but as we grow and as we mature... We grow in our faith and we learn day by day to grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But a hundred years ago, there was a ship that was being built for the White Star Line. That ship was going to be the marvel of its age. When it was completed in 1912, the Titanic was a masterpiece. It was longer than the tallest structures on earth at that point. It was claimed to be insinkable because of its double-hull design. It left England with 1,800 people in April of 1912, but it only arrived with 675. In fact, it never arrived at all. The Titanic hit an iceberg the evening of April the 14th and took just over two hours to sink into the icy waters of the North Atlantic. Most of you know all about the Titanic. It was in the headlines. It's something that people have talked about. They've made movies about it. But let me tell you another story that you probably haven't heard about. While the Titanic was sinking in the North Atlantic, there was another ship that was being built in Newport News, U.S. This ship was not nearly as grand. And this ship made no claim of being unsinkable. The ship was called the SS Medina. And for years, it carried onions between New York and and Texas. During the Second World War, the ship was taken and converted into a troop carrier, and it made many crossings of the Atlantic Ocean. Once it was torpedoed, once it was dive-bombed, but the little ship refused to sink. On one crossing, it was the only ship in its convoy that made it safely. After the war, the little ship was then damaged, and it was old by that point, and they decided that they would sell it for scrap. And so it went to the scrapyard. But it was rescued. It was converted into a cruise ship by an Italian firm line and became an Italian cruise ship called the Roma. And for years, the Roma sailed up and down the Mediterranean with visitors on its decks. But then in the late 60s, early 70s, the Italian ship firm didn't want the Roma anymore. And again, the ship was sold for scrap. And it looked like finally the little ship that had gone through so much in its life, would be put to the scrap pile. But an, an organization by the name of Operation Mobilization bought the little ship and turned it into the MV Dulos. I know a little bit about this ship because Naomi and I spent two years living on it. 
And since 1978, it has sailed around the world. It has been to more than 450 different ports in over 19 nations. More than 20 million visitors have walked its decks, bought books from its book exhibition, attended its conference, and thousands upon thousands have given their life to Jesus Christ as a result of the ministry of this little ship. Just a few months ago, the Dulos was finally decommissioned for the last time and put out to pasture after almost a hundred years of faithful service. Now, why do I tell that story? I tell that story because, isn't it interesting that often in life it isn't the big, it isn't the flashy, it isn't the titanics that seem to make the difference in life, but the faithful do loss. God delights in taking ordinary people in ordinary things. He delights in taking you and he delights in taking me with all of our weaknesses, with all of our inabilities, with all of our failures. He delights in taking the weak in order to do his work. Because it's only in weakness that God's strength can truly be seen in and through us. God wants to use each one of us. God wants to take us where we are today. And he wants to use us as a blessing to bless this nation, to bless the world that is around us. God has a purpose for each one of our lives. And as we continue on in our series on the Holy Spirit, today I want to talk specifically about spiritual gifts that God has given all of us here all of us that have a relationship with Jesus Christ every person in this room has a spiritual gift and God wants us to use those gifts for his glory I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 6 verses 1 to 13 John chapter 6 1 to 13 is a passage Pastor Ike kind of skipped over as he was talking about Jesus walking on the water last week But we're going to look at it in a bit more detail this week. John chapter 6 verse 1 says this. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far side of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him. And he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Eight months' wages could not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and The men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. And when they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Now gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Jesus wants us to be world changers. He wants us to be a a people that make an impact on the world in which he has placed us. If we are going to do that, we have to understand a couple of things about spiritual gifts. Number one, 
if we're going to be world changers, we have to be people who are understanding of our ability. That God has given each one of us a special ability. You know, this miracle, this feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Very few of the stories of Jesus are recorded in all four of the Gospels, meaning that this must have been something that was very important. It says here that Jesus goes and he's up on the mountain. He sees this massive crowd of people and it says there were 5,000 men among them. You heard Pastor Ike say last week that, you know, that's just the men. Who knows what this crowd actually was? It was at least, I'm sure, 10,000. Perhaps it could have been as large as 15,000. Let me just put that into perspective for you this morning. There are probably, amongst the three services this morning, about 500 people. Take that and multiply that by 20 at least. Now, let me just say, you know, kitchen committee. What would it be like if 20 times the number of people that are here this morning were to show up one Sunday morning? And kitchen committee, without anything in the back, I was to ask you, make lunch. Go ahead, make lunch. And make sure that everyone has enough to eat. Can you imagine what they would say? It would be like, that's impossible. That's, that just can't be done. It says that this miracle took place near Bethsaida, which is the town that Philip was from. And so when Jesus turns to the disciples, he focuses his attention on Philip because Philip was a local boy. Philip knew every restaurant for miles. He knew every little store, every little place to buy bread. And he says, Philip... Go find enough bread to feed everyone. And of course, Philip says, Jesus, it can't be done. There's not enough bread. I mean, we could go there. Maybe they have a couple of loaves. And and I know in Bethsaida, there's that store. And they have a couple of loaves there. And and we could go there and there. But there's no way that we're going to be able physically to get enough resources in order to feed this crowd. Jesus, it cannot be done. But notice what it says there. It says, Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. In other words, what he said to Philip was simply a test. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Isn't it refreshing to know That when God looks at your life, and you look at your life and you think to yourself, man, what can I do with my life? I mean, what are the gifts that I have? What are the abilities that I have? And and there are so many mountaintops in front of me. I mean, raising children, getting married, living the Christian life, serving in a a certain ministry, taking a a short-term mission trip here, or doing this in my life. It's it's all so big, Lord. How am I going to be able to do all of this? God already knows what He wants to do in your life. He already knows. And the most important thing is that God has already given you everything that you need for success. He has already given you every resource you need in order to live up to the calling that you have already received. God has a plan for your life. And God knows that plan. And God has equipped you according to that plan. He has given you the spiritual gifts you need to accomplish the task He has given you. 
The problem is, is that so few of us as Christians understand our spiritual gifts. We just don't understand it. We don't understand what it is that God has already given us. And therefore, we don't do what God has purposed for us. Peter Drucker once said this, The problem with the church is that few of us really know our strengths. The great teachers, the great leaders recognize their strengths and they focus on them. How can you use what you don't know that you have? I'm sure you've heard this story before, but years ago during the Great Depression, there was a farmer called Farmer Yates. And Farmer Yates lived in Texas. He had a big sheep farm. And he was having trouble making ends meet. They didn't have enough food. He was living on government subsidy. He couldn't even pay the mortgage for his farm. Week in and week out, Farmer Yates didn't know if he was going to have enough food to feed his family. They were living in poverty. He had nothing. Absolutely nothing. And one day there was a big black car that came driving up the laneway of their farm. And Farmer Yates looked out the window and saw this big car driving up and he thought, oh, it's the bank. They're here to foreclose on my farm. They're here to take it away from me. And he went out. And before the guys were even out of the car, he began to speak. He said, please, don't take my farm from me. Please, I'm, I know I'm behind in payments. Give me just a little bit longer. I'll, I'll try to make up the money to, 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 to pay for the farm. And, and the guy says, no, 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 you don't understand. We're not from the bank. We're actually here as part of a geological survey. We think that there may be oil on your property. Do we have permission to drill a well and find out? And Farmer Yates had nothing to lose. It was just all dry, dusty ground. He said, sure, go ahead, drill a well. So they drilled the first well. And it came in at 80,000 barrels of oil a day. They began drilling other wells. Those wells were producing over 125,000 barrels a day. And very quickly, Farmer Yates began, became one of the richest men in America. The day he bought the farm, he owned it all. The day he, oh, he, he picked up that mortgage in his hand, all of it was his. And yet for years... For years he lived in poverty. For years he sat at the dinner table, not able to put food on the table for his family, living on government subsidies. Why? Because he didn't know what he possessed. He didn't understand what laid beneath the soil. John MacArthur once said this, that no local congregation will be what it should be what Jesus prayed that it would be, what the Holy Spirit gifted it and empowered it to be until it understands spiritual gifts. That's true of a church and that's true of an individual. Until you understand what lies beneath, until you understand what it is that you have been given by God and begin to develop it and begin to use it, you will not be able to accomplish the purpose that God has called you to. So let me ask you a very simple question this morning. Do you understand your spiritual gift? Do you understand what it is that God has given to you? Most people don't. Let me just ask you a few questions then to help get the processes going. Number one, when it comes to spiritual gifts, what is it that you 
envision yourself doing? In other words, what do you see yourself doing? If there was one thing that you could do, what would it be? Let me ask that in a different way. If money were not an object, in other words, if, if, if you had all the money in the world, you didn't have to work, and if you could concentrate your time and your energy on one thing, I'm not talking about going and living on the beach in Hawaii, okay? I'm talking about, you know, if there's one thing that you could do with your life, what would it be? What do you see yourself doing? Let me just go through a list of the gifts. And as I do this, I want you to just look at them and kind of think to yourself, you know, I wonder which one of these is me. You have the gifts of reaching. That's missionary, evangelist, and teacher. You have the gifts of leading, which include pastor, leadership, administration. You have the gifts of revelation, which are prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. You have the gifts of information, which are wisdom, knowledge, and discernment. The gifts of action, which are faith, healing, and miracles. You have gifts of comfort, that are encouragement, mercy, and hospitality. Gifts of support, which are helps, service, and giving. And also the gift of intercession, which is praying. What do you envision yourself? If there's one of those that you could put a circle around right now, which one would it be? Let me ask it to you in a different way. What is the one thing that really ticks you off about this church? If there was one thing you could change, what would it be? I mean, just if, if today you could just say, you know what, I wish this would change and it would change, what would you say? Because very often, the thing that bugs you the most about the church is your spiritual gift. If you're here today and thinking to yourself, you know what, those door greeters, man, I walked in today and nobody said hi to me and, and this church is just so cold and uncaring. Maybe you have a gift of hospitality. God, or a gift of encouragement that God is calling you to. If you're here saying to yourself, it's so disorganized around here. I mean, they were, they were working on the, the, the computers before the service and, and they were doing this and, and all. You know what I would do? I would arrange things different. Maybe you have a gift of administration. If you're here this morning, you're thinking, Pastor Steve is such an awful preacher. I could do a much better job than him. Maybe you have a gift of preaching. And I'd like to talk to you after the service. <laughs> But what is it that you envision yourself doing? What is it that, that you see yourself doing? The thing to remember is that spiritual gifts don't come to us full-blown. They come to us as the small lunch that Andrew brought. They come as the few buns and the few small fish. They're given in, 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 in a form that needs to be developed. As Doris Fries says, gifts are not necessarily mature at the time of discovery. They are developed through practice. What is it that you see yourself doing, number one? Number two, what is it that you enjoy doing? God wants you to enjoy yourself. God wants you to not only serve, but serve with gladness. And so what is it that you enjoy doing? If you've taught before and you've got a real buzz out of it, you know, maybe it's teaching. If you, if you did this and, and you really enjoyed it, maybe it's that area of ministry. The things that you enjoy are strong indicators of your area of gifting. God doesn't want you to, to, to be pushed into an area of ministry out of guilt and to serve there because you have to. He wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to love it. He wants you to get pumped up and look forward to it every week. 
What is it that you envision? What is it that you enjoy? And number three, what is it that others encourage in you? Sometimes we don't see our own strengths. We just kind of figure everyone's like us, that we're good at something, so we figure everybody's good at that. But then you have someone come up to you and say, well, you know what? You're really good at this. This is something, man, when you do that, you're really good at that, whatever that may be. See, some of us are good at stuff that other people are not good at. I I heard a story this week of a police officer that pulled over a car because it had a a, a broken taillight. And the policeman came up and asked for the guy's license and registration. And as the policeman was taking it, he looked into the back seat of the car and there was a box and in the box was a bunch of knives. And the police officer went for his gun and said, what do you got all these knives for? And the guy goes, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. It's just part of my act. Well, what act? The policeman said, well, you see, I'm a professional juggler. And the police officer looked at him and he thought, okay, show me. And so the guy gets out of the car and he gets his box of knives and he gets a unicycle out of the trunk and and he's on the unicycle going back and forward and he takes all these knives and he's juggling like ten knives at once. And just then another car goes by with two guys in it and they see this guy on the unicycle juggling. And the one guy goes, man, I'm glad I gave up drinking. These sobriety tests are getting brutal. (laughs) But you see, what's easy for one person is not necessarily easy for another person, right? Because we're all gifted in different ways. So what is it that you envision yourself? What is it that you enjoy? What is it that others encourage in you? What is your ability, number one? But number two, not simply what is your ability... What is your availability? Are you using what you've been given? Notice in this passage that it says that Jesus multiplied the food, but Jesus didn't give it out. The disciples gave it out. In other words, Jesus was the source, but he wasn't the distributor of the food. Jesus could have stood up there and he could have multiplied the food and produced baskets and baskets and baskets of food. But if the disciples hadn't given it out, nobody would have been fed. And likewise today, God is the source of the good news. He's the source of the gospel, of all that we have. But it's our job to give it out. That means that the person who lives across the street from you I mean, God may want that person to come to salvation. God may just be longing for that person to come to salvation. But you know what? That person isn't going to hear necessarily until you walk across a road and tell them. God is waiting for us to take what we've been given and to distribute it. Too many Christians in the church today are not serving. They're not using what they've been given. You ask someone, well, well, why don't you get involved in this area? And they say, I'm sorry, that's not my spiritual gift. Well, then you say, well, then what is your spiritual gift? (laughs) Because can I tell you, seat sitting and hymn singing is not a spiritual gift. Worship, you know, in areas like that, but, but just coming and participating is not a spiritual gift. You see, gifts are given for the common good. Gifts are given for the blessing of the congregation. Gifts are given to use so that those around you are blessed. Apple trees don't grow apples for the sake of the apple tree. I mean, farmers don't plant apples 
like an apple tree just because they like the look of apple trees. They plant apple trees because they expect to get fruit off the apple tree. It says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. That means the church is not a spectator sport. That means everyone has a job. Everyone has a role to play. Ephesians 4.16 says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each one does its work. As each one does its work. That means, as each one of us does what we are told to do, what we're given to do, then everything gets done. Conversely, if one person doesn't do what they're told to do, what they're given to do, it doesn't get done. See, I think this is a misconception that we have about the church. When, when Naomi and I lived in Kuwait, there was this Arabic word that really ticked me off. It was an Arabic word, inshallah. Inshallah means literally in Arabic, if God wills it. And so you would go somewhere to, to get something done. You would go to the Department of Immigration with your passport to get a new stamp in your passport. And you'd go to the guy and you'd go up to the counter and you'd put your passport done and the guy would look at it and you would say, is it going to be done today? And he'd say, inshallah. In other words, there ain't a chance it's getting done today. Ain't going to happen. You know, if God wills it, if God stamps your passport, then it may get done. But that's the only way it's going to get done, basically. It simply means if it happens, it happens. In Kuwait, there was one of the highest death by traffic accident fatality rate in the entire world. More people were killed every year in traffic accidents in Kuwait than, than almost any other country per capita in the world. Why? Because the people drove very fast, 140, 160 kilometers an hour without seatbelts. They never wore seatbelts. You'd have them ripping down the road, no seatbelt, maybe a two-year-old kid walking around the front of the car, you know, climbing over the seat, sitting in the, the lap of the driver. So every time there was an accident, it was a fatality. And I once asked one of the Kuwaitis, I said, why do you allow this to happen? Why don't you just wear your seatbelt? They said, inshallah. I said, well, what does that mean? They said, well, if God wants me to die, I'm going to die. If God wants me to live, I'm going to live. It's a fatalist attitude. It means if God wants it, He'll do something about it. So if I'm wearing a seatbelt, God wants me dead, I'm dead. If I'm not wearing a seatbelt, God wants me dead, I'm still dead. So what does it matter if I wear a seatbelt or not? And you say, that's, that's crazy thinking. The same thinking happens sometimes in the church. We'll stand up and we'll say, there's an area of need. There's an area here. We need people to help run media show. We need ushers. We need deacons. We need people to come and serve in the church. And everyone says, oh, not my job. If God wants it to get done, he'll raise up someone to do it. <laughs> and when we say that, what we're saying is, inshallah. If God wants it to happen, it'll happen. Even though God has gifted me, even though I know that I could do this, I'm gifted for this, this is something that maybe I'm being called to, even though I know all that, it's not my job. Ezekiel 22.30, God says this, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But... I found none. 
saddest words in the Bible. Because there was no one who would stand in the gap, because there was no one who would do the job, I destroyed the land. Sometimes God is saying, you know, there's a ministry that has to happen. There's something very important that has to happen. But there's nobody. There's nobody. There's nobody. And because nobody steps up, and because nobody says, I'm going to get involved, the job doesn't get done. Every part is important. Every person is essential. When you were growing up in your family, I'm sure you had chores in your household. That meant that every kid had a job. Whether it was washing dishes or taking out the garbage, that's just what happens in families. Everyone has a job. What happens if one of your siblings didn't do their job? You got it, right? If one kid doesn't do their job, then everyone else has to work twice as hard. And this is the family of God. This is like a big family. And in a family, everyone has chores. Everyone has a job. Everyone has a part to play. The question is, are you playing that part? Are you doing that job? Are you helping out? Are you serving? Availability. Ability. You know what happens when ability and availability come together? You know what the children of ability and availability is? Abundance. When you take your ability and when you become available to use that ability, the result is abundance. In this story it says that the end result was that everyone had a bite, everyone got a little plate, maybe a one each sign, you know you get one piece of fish but that's it. No. It says that everyone ate all they wanted. They were stuffed. They were full. They were like, oh, no, I couldn't eat another bite. They came there hungry. They left completely and utterly satisfied. And not only that, it records that afterwards there was lots left over. There was an abundance. There were basketfuls. The disciples were hauling back bundles of the leftover pieces. There wasn't just enough to get by. There wasn't just enough that everyone could have a bite. There was enough for all and more so. It was like a Mennonite potluck. <laughs> you go to a Baptist potluck, I tell you, you better be near the front of the line for the casserole because you know, if you're at the end of the line, you're going to be licking the bowl. You, know, you better grab a bun as quickly as you can because you know, if you're at the end of the line, that's it. You may get a little jello salad. That's going to be all you're going to be eating. You know? But not at a Mennonite potluck. I'm learning this, you see. You go to a Mennonite potluck, you pour people after people after people after it, and the food just keeps appearing. It's like there's an endless supply. It's like the miracle of the widow's oil. The food just seems to keep coming out and coming out. And, and at the end of it, you look and it's like nobody has touched it yet. There's still tons and tons left over. That's wonderful. I like that. <laughs> I like that. See, I long for a church where people take the gifts that they've been given and they use the gifts they've been given. And because of that, there's an abundance. 
that there is this there's this flow out of the church, this flow that blesses the neighborhood, this flow that blesses the community, and the flow that not only blesses the neighborhood and the community and the nation, but it keeps on flowing until it blesses the world. If every person in the church would wake up and say, God has given me an ability, God has given me a supernatural gift, a spiritual gift, and today they said, I am going to concentrate on taking what I have been given and using it for the kingdom of God. I am going to pour my time and my energy into that gift. I tell you, this city and this nation would be changed forever. Does anyone here remember... The first time you ever took a music class in school? That first day? You come into the class and the teacher starts bringing out all the instruments. They only have so much of the instruments, so you kind of get what you get. You know, you walk in there and you don't even know what a saxophone is, but that's what you're given. And you walk out going, a saxophone? What in the world is a saxophone? And you take the thing home and you try playing with it. And at first you can't do anything with that, but after a while... You learn how to play it. You learn how to make notes. You learn how to read music. And pretty soon you're pretty good. And pretty soon, you know, you're trying to impress your friends and you're, you're playing that saxophone down in your basement driving your parents crazy. And then the day comes when all of the students bring their instruments together. And they take all those instruments and the teacher raises the baton and she starts and everyone starts playing at exactly the same time. And it's like a whole room full of soloists. Everyone playing as loud as they possibly can, wanting to hear their instrument above all the other instruments because they think theirs is the best. And it sounds awful. But grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, by grade 12, the teacher raises the baton and the music begins and it's sometimes beautiful. <laughs> sometimes and the parents sit in the assembly and they listen to their kid. Oh, that's my kid out there. That's beautiful stuff. That's beautiful music. You see, the music was written to be played by the orchestra. And it only sounds good when every instrument is playing its part and, and knows its place and builds upon the others around it. But when you get it all together, when it all comes together, it's wonderful. Maybe you're here today and you're just learning how to play that instrument that God has given you. You're looking at it and you're going, a saxophone? What in the world is a saxophone? Maybe you're learning how to play it in the body. Sometimes someone gets a gift and they go, mine is the most important gift. Mine is the only gift in the church. And man, mine's the best gift. And it's like a room full of soloists. And... But over time, over time, maturity... As each one does their part, as each one brings what they have, the result is beautiful music. Music that blesses all who hear it. People walk into a church and they think, wow, that's a powerful place. They see the effects in the lives of the people. And they think, wow, these people, there's something about them that's different. There's something about that that I need as well. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for spiritual gifts. That Lord, you have not only called us
to be world changers. You've given us the tools we need to change the world. That, Lord, you've given each one of us everything that we need, knowing ahead of time, Father, what you would call us to. You have given us the tools that we need, the few small fish, the few loaves. And Jesus, you know what you want to do in our lives. You already know. You already see the beginning from the end. Lord, perhaps today you're sitting and you're asking, will you give it to me? Will you give me that ability? Will you give me your availability? Will you give me what you have so that I can take it and I can multiply it and I can use it to feed the people around you? Make it a blessing. Father, we can because you have said we can. We are able because it is you who make us able. We cannot look you in the face, Lord, and say we can't because that is a contradiction of what you have already said. We cannot blame our education or our upbringing. We cannot blame our inactivity on the surroundings or the environment. Lord, I pray, through your Spirit today, you would stir up every gift, that you would stir up every ability, that you would stir up, Father, a sense of serving and availability in each one of us. We long, Father, to see the church equipped and the church set on fire as each one uses what they've been given. So thank you, Lord. We bless you this day in Jesus' name. Amen.